Well, this is uh, Grant's Interfaith Observer of the Air, and I am crackly-voiced Jim Grant, and welcome to our podcast called Current Yield. And with me uh, today, as almost per usual, is Henry French at the controls. Henry is filling in for Eric Whitehead, who's vacationing in one of his more exotic spots. I've forgotten the name of it. It is, though, I think a member of the United Nations. Is it not, uh, Evan? The last yeah. I checked, yeah. The great Evan Lorenz is directly across from me. Uh, Phil Grant is sitting in as well, the editor of uh, Almost Daily Grants. And our guest today is uh, Jay Van Scriver, who is, uh, first of all, a chemist from Yale, uh, secondly, but I think rather more pertinently, the uh, uh, cyclicals and uh, industrials and uh, materials analyst. In fact, he's the head of those institutions at uh, Hedgeye Risk Management. So, Jay, welcome. Thank you so much. Uh, so, Jay took the subway to meet us, so uh, he knows a little bit something about the rolling stock, too, and rails and uh, transportation. More than I'd like to. <laughs> well, um, this is an especially pertinent time, I think, for um, the cyclical world. Uh, the news backdrop is, is kind of checkered, is it not, Evan? Or you find some of uh, these industrial companies seem not to be proceeding in a full-strength industrial fashion. No. Uh, on Monday, BASF, the German chemical giant, came out and they said that their second quarter earnings before interest and taxes was going to fall 47% year over year in the second quarter. They cited general weakness in industrial production, especially in auto. Uh, what others we see? Uh... PMI, which is the Purchasing uh, Manager Index, for uh, China is in contraction. In Europe, it's in contraction. In the US, we're seeing rail card loads uh, fall year over year. There's a lot of signs that things just aren't as vibrant as they used to be. And then also this morning, uh, MSC Industrial, uh, a supplier of, of metals, also offered a lower than expected uh, results for the third quarter and cut their guidance fourth quarter, citing broad weakness as well. Well, we are going to be hearing from uh, Jay Van Skyver in just one moment. But uh, first, I want to introduce you to um, our two sponsors, the Sainted People. There is a Send Pro online from Pitney Bowes and uh, ZipRecruiter. And of them, of ZipRecruiter and Pitney Bowes, more and on. But uh, Jay Van Skyver, again, welcome. And as the uh, industrials and materials guy at uh, Hedgeye, how do you see the cyclical outlook? I think it's clearly decelerating. We're in a potential industrial contraction, a contraction in durable goods orders, you know, clearly uh, as we enter June. The uh, thing I think that people miss about the industrial sector and capital goods in general is that a decelerating economy, like slowing GDP growth, actually can result in a contraction in industrial activity because there are fleets. So if you have like a fleet of equipment and the economy expands 3%, you get the replacement demand for that equipment plus 3% growth to accommodate the growth in the economy. And then if you suddenly only have 1% growth, you get replacement demand plus 1%. So you lose those two points of GDP growth and you actually get negative industrial activity. And at some point you don't get replacement demand, no? I, I read that uh, demand for heavy trucks, for example, has fallen off a cliff. Yeah, so heavy trucks are a little specific to some regulation hours of service uh, that basically contracted the available driver pool or the hours of driver hours that spiked up I rates see. in the middle of last year and that came back down. So yeah, we're clearly, you know, every cyclical industry is a little specific, right? Each has its own fleet and its own fleet dynamic, but decelerating growth usually results in an industrial contraction. You didn't have a recession in late 2015, 2016, but you definitely had an industrial contraction or recession. Well, is this particular industrial contraction different from the one in 2015, 16? What were its characteristics? Yeah, that, that's a great question. So the uh, one in 2015 was really in part uh, focused on commodity capital equipment. So we have very high commodity prices, oil prices, 13, 14, mining capex uh, was elevated. And as we went through that industrial contraction, you saw those 
areas disproportionately impacted. And, you know, this one, you know, each, I guess, version of it has its own flavor. You know, we would expect things like building products probably to be a little more resilient given the decline in mortgage rates. Those kinds of construction exposed markets are probably a little bit stronger. Uh, whereas, you know, I do think things like trucking, we added Cummins as a, as a best idea short a couple of weeks ago are probably more exposed. Is this a recession or is it an industrial contraction? So I'm, I'm not the macro well, guy. come on, take uh, a shot. And you who's should- gonna, Who's gonna know? Uh, definitely <laughs> Keith, who's uh, who I work for. He's, he's they, uh, it, it is actually uh, the first place I've ever worked like uh, at, at Hedgeye is great. We have all these other teams, so I can use the housing team's material and we have a macro team. Does but you can override job. them if you want to. That's right. right. D- definitely. Uh, but they, they do a, a great job of sort of signaling. And they're not in the recession camp, they're in They've, I think, called the pivot in yeah. economic growth really well. Uh, and then how that sort of bleeds into my sector ends up being my problem. And yeah. the data just couldn't be clearer, whether it's air freight as rail car loadings, whether it's intermodal or total, even truck tonnage is basically flat in the most recent readings. So you know, everything is telling us the same yeah, the, thing. The trick I would expect in industrial companies, uh, cyclical companies more broadly, is that, uh, gee, they look so cheap times like this, you know, six, seven, eight times. How do you not buy them? Yeah, it's, it's easy. So I tend to focus more on price than price earnings because yeah, the earnings are more cyclical than prices. And, you know, basically when things are down a lot and, you know, their multiples have expanded enormously, that's usually when you want to get in. But I think, you know, uh, we use other metrics like you can DCF it or assume a cycle or you can use price to sales, which is less cyclical or EV to sales or anything like that. But when they're down, you kind of know it and everybody hates them and nobody's ever going to buy a tractor again or whatever it is. But where are we now in that cycle of love and hate? What's interesting is the uh, S&P industrial sector is actually not quite at its highs, but it's it's up. Uh, I'm There are some specific names, like say Wabtec, which has specific issues in rail rolling stock, to bring it back to that, that are down or have performed poorly. But uh, most of the sector doesn't seem to be picking up on uh, what's a pretty clear, you know, difficult period. Like, you know, you can put a multiple on it or the Fed, the Fed can set interest rates, but they can't print earnings. And it looks like earnings for the industrial sector will be coming down. Uh, Jay, the, the last 10 years have been characterized by easy money and also corporations larding up their balance sheets with more debt. How do the, I guess, industrial balance sheet look like today? And is this going to make this cycle more severe, less severe than uh, previous cycles? Is there anything we can read into just based off of how balance sheets look like? I mean, I, th- I think it's a mix. I think a lot of the industrial economy has gotten out of equipment financing and, and sort of having finance subsidiaries that create distortions along those lines. The ones, so, so who's actually providing the financing then if it's no longer uh, a captive finance sub? I mean, they'll have like relationships with uh, banks that end up providing it or they'll have their own sort of, you know, in the case of somebody like Deere, they do still have a captive finance subsidiary. But those, the sort of the used equipment residual value, equipment finance cycle is its own beast to deal with. The part that I find amazing is... Uh, are these sort of money losing companies that have grown up into my sector. Like we have Tesla, we have Uber and Lyft is an industrials and, uh, you know, these sort of perpetual loss making companies with unlimited access to equity capital. Or in the case of Tesla, also a whole lot of surprisingly cheap debt. I think that's where we'll see the distortion in capacity and basically, you know, as I think you would use the term like malinvestment or something along those those lines where you've built things that really uh, don't make a ton of economic sense. What do you mean the Fed can't print earnings? Well, so, I mean, one thing that uh, in the short run, we'll go with that. Fair, fair point. All right. So run. we're going to we're going to uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that one. Which, remind, which reminds me of ZipRecruiter. This is a full employment economy, meaning it, it's not uh, so easy to get yourself new hire. As they say here in the script, hiring is challenging, challenging. It's a word you hear constantly on Wall Street. Nothing's ever difficult. 
always a challenge. Uh, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart, a place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. And that place is ZipRecruiter.com slash grant. So here's what, uh, here what happens with ZipRecruiter. They send your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. Not for your job, ladies and gentlemen. Rest assured, this is not about you. It's to your job. So as the applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidate so you never, ever miss a great match. So it's so effective is ZipRecruiter that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address. Uh, ZipRecruiter.com slash grant. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash grant. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right. I got a, a great question for you before I interrupted both you and me. Hold on one second, Jay. Uh, oh, yes. Okay. Uh, so we are with uh, Jay Van Skyver of uh, Hedgeye Research, and Jay is an authority on cyclical businesses. But some of the companies you cover, Jay, are not cyclical. They are permanent improvements in the quality of earthly existence. I'm thinking now of Tesla and Uber. These are not so much companies as statements of social purpose. And you telling me you're negative? Yeah, I think one thing we like to come back to is the idea of a base rate. So the base rate of competitive entrance into uh, established capital equipment markets yeah. like cars or <laughs> making tractors is extremely low. It's roughly zero, right? It's hard to start your own car company in a garage and really, you know, take off. Unlike, you know, maybe software, you get people who actually do it. Even in the case of Uber, like, you know, asset light transportation services companies, sometimes they're super successful, like the C.H. Robinson. But Tesla is pretty clearly in the zero examples of success category. And, you know, yet they continue to have a, you know, pretty good revenue growth rate selling a dollar for 90 cents. And the market's surprised that revenues are growing or that they can sell these cars for less than a cost. Okay, so, so you are in the business of saying yes, but to some of these things. What kind of reaction do you get from uh, Hedgeye Risk clients, maybe particularly the individuals, although also the institutions, when you say such things as selling a dollar for 90 cents, well, they say, yeah, Bob. What do they say? People want these cars. So when we initially went out with Tesla, it was, I guess, in June of 2017, there was this notion that they, if they could just make enough cars, the marginal cost would come down and they'd be profitable. And that there was basically unlimited demand for the Tesla brand. And, you know, that gets twisted around. Like there's no demand for Tesla, which is not true. There is demand for Teslas at a price and they're nice cars. They look nice. Uh, you know, they have some specific issues, but nothing like that. So on the on the short side, they're like, yes, I agree with you. And on the long side, we go in with a lot of data. So on, one of our competencies as a firm, the thing I think we do really well is we get a lot of data together. So we have, you know, used prices. We have how many people are test driving Teslas every day. We have a lot Lot of really clever ways of getting to data that other people don't have that can make the case. But, you know, one thing I've learned in this job is it's very hard to change people's minds. <laughs> you can give them everything and it's, you know, if they've sort of spent three months working on it and come to a conclusion, you know, I can sing and dance and show them a chart of the end of the world and nobody really cares. Can I ask you a question on uh, two other companies you named? Why don't Uber and Lyft make money? I mean, just big picture if you told me that there's two companies that own large, massive networks um, that connect people to drivers. They don't actually have to own the cars. They don't have to go through the capital intensive part of the business. And yet they lose massive amounts of money quarter in and quarter out. Why can't these companies seem to make any money, especially when taxi cab companies, legacy cab companies, seemingly before Uber and Lyft didn't appear to me to have any trouble. You know, you'd have these 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 legacy cab companies would, 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 would be around for decades with no problem. The medallion barons. It's a great question. And I think one of the problems is that this is an established industry where there were competitors, right? So 
in order for Uber and Lyft to grow in the way that I think their valuations imply, they have to be able to get more than just people at the airport, right? So they got a big boost of growth pulling people off public transit, marginal tr public transit riser, riders. We can see that contraction in public transit in the data. And they put you know legacy cab companies out of business or took a lot of their riders. That next pool of riders is a big question mark, but they've kind of sold this growth story and equity valuations are predicated on this growth story. And one of the ways you can get a little bit more ridership growth is to have artificially low prices or artificially incentivized drivers. So, you know, I think that's, they're simply underpricing relative to the total cost. And they're also plowing a lot of money into development uh, of their software and service and trying to grow their networks and compete in inhospitable climates. And they also tend to really beat each other to death on price. So we track pricing in a whole bunch of markets every day. And they really are, even though it's a duopoly, like they really go after one another. I don't know if that'll ever settle down, but well, is this, is this based upon, you said artificially incentivizing drivers and so forth. Is this based ultimately on artificially cheap capital? Yeah. So there, there's, that's a double-edged sword. The Fed can print losses. Definitely. In this, in, in this, in this, in this instance, one of the things that artificially cheap capital has, has happened is that a whole bunch of competitors, whether it be Juno or uh, Bolt or other, other competitors in this market, have also unlimited access to capital to come in and, you know, try and take share in, um, you know, Brazil or wherever it is is, uh, they want to go and compete. So the capital barrier to entry that a business like this would usually have is currently non-existent. That's the bull story that when that gets cut off, it'll all be good. Yeah. The interesting thing to me is neither Lyft nor Uber are low cost providers and they're displacing industry veterans who actually have a lower cost of operation. A taxi fleet manages many cars, all the same type, can actually get better rates on insurance, better rates on maintenance than a single Uber driver can. Do you have a sense of how much Uber or Lyft would have to raise their prices in order to actually become economic entities? Uh, well, we can look at what their current margins are and extrapolate from there. There are also some labor differences that they take advantage of, sort of the uh, independent contractor uh, model. They don't pay benefits to their drivers. Yeah, and they don't, if, if it ends up costing you more to operate your car than you thought, that's sort of your problem, not Uber's problem. So there, there are a lot of anomalies. It's also a very, to your point, like a very regional market. Like what is it? It's not like competitive pressures in New York affect San Francisco or, you know, each, each of them are regionally distinct markets with their regionally distinct competitive dynamics and pricing, making it not obvious that global or national scale brings a lot of benefit beyond getting on your phone, which has benefits, but you know, it's a difficult competitive advantage. Shipping and mailing from your desk has never been easier, never simpler than with Send Pro Online from Pitney Bowes. With Send Pro Online from Pitney Bowes, it's just click, send, and save for as low as $4.99, $4.99 a month. Send envelopes, flats, and packages right from your desk, and you are back to business in no time. And for being a current yield listener, ladies and gentlemen, you'll receive a free, yeah, yeah, free 30-day trial to get started and a free 10-pound scale to ensure that you never, ever overpay. So save time and money on mailing and shipping with SendPro starting at $4.99 a month. I guess that's that's not $5. It's less than $5. $4.99. You also can qualify for special USPS rates for letters and priority mail shipping. By the way, they want you to know that USPS is a copyrighted name. That's like the post office, right? A postal service. Sorry. Still, it's copyrighted. You can calculate exact postage online and print from your PC. And here's the call to action. You ready? All right, go to pb.com slash grants pod to access this special offer for a free 30-day trial, plus a free 10-pound scale to get started. That's pb.com slash grants pod. Experience, enjoy, rather. Shipping made simple with a free trial of SendPro 
online from Pitney Bowes. Uh, Jay, tell me about uh, the farm. It rained this spring and it kept raining and it kept raining. And uh, how do you see uh, farm equipment makers? So uh, we're bearish on deer. I think the farm cycle that people perceived as having turned up uh, hasn't exactly turned up. Uh, the old story in uh, farm equipment is you're always one drought away from a bull market in corn. In this case, you are a one flood away from, from a bull market in corn in this year. But there's a lot of acreage that just wasn't planted. There's going to be some impact from the flooding on yields. And that isn't necessarily a recipe that's great for uh, for you know, farm equipment sales, not planting isn't always a, a great thing. And there's always, there's also just been this problem where deer has been overproducing relative to retail sales, which lowers their unit costs and stuffs the channel with inventory. So inventories in the last quarter are actually the highest they've been in this particular cycle. And deer, you mentioned, has a captive finance unit. When you actually dig into its balance sheet, what are you seeing in terms of trends of like um, slow paying loans, uh, charge offs, uh, deer reserving for potential losses for calamity? Yeah, one of the probably most grants interest rate observer thing that we did in this project was we ordered the uh, 1980s farm downturn JDCC, their Capital Corp subsidiary, 10Ks and Qs from the Library of Congress. It ended up being like a three well month done, extravaganza. Jay. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll send them to you. We have them on PDF. Uh, and they're, they're a fascinating read because it used to be a separate entity. So completely different company. They merge in 86 or 87 after the farm downturn kind of creates its difficulty. And uh, it took a little while, even in the 80s, very severe farm downturn to see past dues go up because there's a fixed number of farmers, right? Farming population actually decreases over time. And if two or 3% of them default every year and your policy is to not lend to them again for 10 years, eventually you've excluded 30% of the farmers from your potential pool of, you know, credit customers, which, you know, tractors are sold very often with credit. So you contract your market. So there is a, uh, you know, a real effort not to let farmers default. And what we've seen is actually steadily increasing past dues and things like 60 days past due. That's also, as of the last quarter, the most inventory and the most past dues at you know, John Deere Credit Corp. When is that going to make a difference in people's perceptions of the company? That's a great question. I would have said now, uh, but I would, be, I would have been wrong. I was wrong. Uh, so that's uh, you know, Deere Financial is a big EPS contributor uh, that's contracted. The best correlate to Deere stock is actually when they start producing less, when their actual uh, number of tractors or their actual output declines. Cyclicals are so cyclical for a lot of reasons. One of it is that you have to cut production, which raises unit costs just at the time your pricing comes under pressure because nobody wants your tractors. I think that's the, you know, as they go through cutting production and, uh, you know, this fiscal year, I think it really starts to bite. Jake, um, could you give us uh, favorite uh, shorts, favorite long, if you have any? What, what, what are your, as they say, high conviction? I always think, and people say, yeah, what's your best idea? And I'll say, you know, um, we'll talk again in five years. I can tell you uh, the idea that I think is pretty good, but my best idea remains to be seen. Yeah, my, my middling ideas tend to outperform my, <laughs> my best ideas to just equal weight myself. I, th I think the area where uh, both as a, as a firm and, and our sector specifically is, is in building products. I think that we'll get easing comps uh, through the back half of the year in a lot of you know, housing related at, uh, things, our housing team does their themes call tomorrow. So I'll know more tomorrow, but we have Mohawk and Owens Corning and some other Eagle materials and activist target all is sort of uh, our, on our longs list because that big drop in mortgage rates over the last few quarters should stimulate some housing activity, right? That should be a, even in a less robust economy, that's a hundred bips plus of 
out of the 30-year mortgage. Pretty big. Uh, it took the cycle down. How are those stocks valued? They're remarkably, I mean, it's always hard to go back. I think they are reasonably valued and reasonably cheap. They're at levels where it's been previously pretty good to buy them. Uh, and there are sort of idiosyncratic aspects to both. Like Eagle Materials actually has a money losing business in sand. Sand, believe it or not, turns out to be less profitable than they anticipated. Uh, that they Was are... this fracking sand? Yes. Uh. But it's like very special round northern yeah. sand. It turns out that sand is sand for the most part. And people are using local sand. Uh, but as they close that down, like they'll get some earnings benefit from that. So there's usually some idiosyncratic parts, but that's the area where we probably have the most longs. And then uh, on the uh, short side, we're probably best known for uh, for Tesla, but that's come down quite a bit. Their best quarter of the year is probably wait a little bit uh, on that one, uh, although it remains the best day of short and probably the highest just dollar value alpha we have. But we wait, actually- wait, wait, what does that mean? It just, highest like, dollar value alpha. It's got like a $40 billion market cap and it's probably worth like, you know, zero. Well, you know, you can argue if it's zero or something. I think he'll, we generally think it's like death by dilution. Like Elon Musk has a lot of wealthy friends. I think he'll always get that next dollar. You know, maybe I'm wrong about that, but there's still an active market for uh, DeLoreans just uh, as an FYI. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the, you know, the brand is the brand is valuable. It also has a lot of debt, though. So you got you got to pair that off against the obligations for, you know, purchases. And George Clooney was able to sell his tequila brand, uh, Casamigos, for a billion dollars. Musk is hinted at Tesla Kila, which could actually be a billion dollar enterprise. Yeah, I'm sure. And they got sure. flamethrowers, too. Flamethrowers could be a big market. Yeah. yeah. Also, you know, as long as you got autonomous fields, you can drink vodka all day long, right? <laughs> Expanding right. the market size, growing the TAM. That reminds me of the liabilities that TAM. they could have for uh, warranty and, you know, whatever happens with the autonomous vehicles. But they don't break, though, do they? Never. All right. And that's snarky things about Tesla. You know, I really wasn't the voice who suggested zero. I think that was, um, that was Henry French, actually. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, you really get some blowback on Tesla. Yeah, yeah. We, nobody really cares about that here, so nobody should talk to us about it. So the biggest, one of the biggest worries this cycle has really been the corporate uh, debt. The, the president of the Dallas Fed actually came out earlier this year and said the Fed might actually have to take its foot off the, you know, off the Tesla accelerator. Off the Tesla accelerator yeah. and need to keep rates lower and need to be easier because corporate balance sheets are just so crappy. And why are they crappy? Well, you know, we're not going to talk about that right now. You said that um, industrial cycles can happen even when the economy keeps growing. Is there ever a time when industrial cycles get so severe that they can actually cause feed on loops into the general economy and cause a slowdown in GDP or uh, cause a contraction in GDP? Can one cause the other? I mean, I think usually we're kind of a consumer oriented economy. I think that's sort of the standard view of it. I guess if we got sort of into a more synchronized global, downturn that really impacted employment. I mean, something to think about, like on the farm economy, most farmers have a side gig or farming is their side gig. They have some other job. So a good economy feeds back into a lot of ways, you know, into the industrial economy and vice versa. That's a, uh, that's a possibility. I and mean, I think usually they just call that a big recession, you know, <laughs> uh, as opposed to something specific. And it's hard to see that far into the future. Like it's hard to know, you know in terms of the data we have, the industrial economy looks like it's likely to contract, right? Durable goods orders likely to go negative. Getting beyond that, you know, you know people still take Ubers, I guess, uh, which interestingly, probably more people would drive for Uber in a recession. I always wonder if it would have ever been created without the global financial crisis and that supply of people willing to just drive around for some money. You know. Well, Jay Van Skyver, thank you. This has been uh, terrifically interesting. And uh, I don't know, come back again. Henry French, thank you for sitting in the engineer's seat and uh, uh, Evan Lorenz and Phil Grant. And uh, sitting directly across from me is Thomas Grant, my nephew, and Phillips. Uh, cousin. Yeah, cousin. So uh, Thomas is an, an alumnus, a recent alumnus of DePaul University, is going to work for Hyatt in San Francisco. Yeah. So um, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Until the next time, this is The Current Yield.